Hello, and welcome to the Black Movie Podcast, where we celebrate Black culture through its cinema by reviewing and discussing Black-led films from a range of different genres and time periods. My name is Ryan here. I'm Lauren. James. And I'm Andre. And we're here today to talk about uh, a movie that I put on our our list. It is Aquila and the Bee. Aquila and the Bee was released in 2006. It stars the film debut of young Kiki Palmer, along with Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne. Bassett and Fishburne are two pretty prolific actors in both mainstream and black cinema. And they find ways to come together in a whole lot of different films. They both took a special interest in the story of Aquila and the Bee and brought us this pretty heartwarming family drama, a PG movie designed to make you actually feel good, which is something that I felt might be needed in uh, as we're dealing with COVID-19. The plot for Aquila is that it is about a young girl from South Central LA who is bullied in school by a bunch of by a bunch of girls and afraid of showing that she's smart which is a trope that we'll have to get into later. But she stumbles upon the Scripps National Spelling Bee playing on ESPN, finds out about the local bee at her school, and is coerced into participating by a series of well-meaning adults and teachers. She stumbles upon she stumbles upon that, that watching the bee on TV. She goes and does it. She wins the school bee. But she has to kind of balance between her desire to explore something that she's clearly good at and her fears about how how she'll be treated because of it. She ends up having a mercurial mentor in Fishburne's character, Dr. Larrabee, who teaches her a lot of, uh, teaches her all of the techniques and things needed to become a champion speller. And they have a really interesting relationship back and forth throughout the movie. I picked this movie in part because there are not a lot of coming of age movies that feature black children and especially not black girls. There's a few that come to mind. He's bio, a last girl in the IRT. But A Killing the Bee stands out as being the kind of movie that gets made for a lot of young white child actors all the time. Inspirational message, feel good movie. So it's a big stars and in like a positive treatment for uh, most of the characters in the story. And I wanted to make sure that we had that represented when we're talking about some of the movies and the different genres that we're going through. So. I've watched this movie a ton. Um, when I used to work with kids, this was a frequent movie that we would put on when we were like running summer camps or essentially babysitting or chasing around kids. It was a safe thing to put on and draw some attention and get kids, in, you know, maybe excited about words, which is not the easiest thing in the world to do. But I'm curious about for everyone else, uh, what you all thought of Aquila and the Beat. Was this anyone else's first time seeing this movie? I know that Ryan said he's seen it plenty of times. My first time seeing the whole movie all the way through. I'd always caught like bits and pieces because my mom loved this movie when it first came out. It was my first time seeing it at all. Yeah, it was my first time seeing it at all, too. It's it's one of those movies that like I had heard of, I'm, I'm sure. But yeah, I had never seen it. I really didn't even know what it was about other than the name. And, I don't, and like I left this movie pretty happy like i didn't really examine it too closely not like i have some of the other movies that we've watched because i just i don't know maybe the feel goodness of it really like just put me in a good mood but like i just 
thought it was a very pleasant movie. I commented at the very beginning when it flashed PG to my wife that I think this is the first time I've seen a live action PG movie in probably like a decade. And uh, it really I don't know. It just it it put me in a good space. Like I thought the, the story was common, like it wasn't like breathtaking or anything but like every all the characters i thought were acted very well like the overall story i thought was done really well and it was cool to see Lawrence fishburne and angela bassett in a movie together i wish they had had more scenes together but but yeah i don't know i just i really like this movie i think i felt in a pretty similar space like it was i didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it afterwards but i was just like well that was great like it was a really nice way to spend a couple hours i felt good about myself uh, it's really nice to sort of like, as Ryan was saying, to have a movie like that that's focused around a little black girl that's just kind of like your own version of Bobby Fischer, basically, complete with your own Lawrence Fishburne to boot. And I particularly liked it also because I completely identified with Akila. Like, I was that little girl who won the school spelling bee and really loved words. And yes, I was a tiny nerd, but I was totally here for it. And so, like, watching a movie about a little girl like that, really enjoying words and excelling at something... And having it be something that her town took pride in really made me excited and happy to see and to sort of like relive parts of my childhood, enjoying those same kind of things. My only complaint about the film really is that Angela Bassett is criminally underutilized. And I feel that way about Angela Bassett on almost everything she's in. She's just criminally underutilized. She just needs all the screen time that we could possibly give her because she's Angela Bassett. But beyond that, I thought it was like a really good, fun film. Yeah, Akila's mother, Tanya Anderson, I think was the character's name. Like, I would watch a whole uh, extra movie just about her drama from her perspective. I want to know what's up. Like, like does her does her you know do ne'er do well son get it together? What happens to the son that's in the army? What about the one with the baby? What about the daughter with the baby? I want to know more about her and her struggles. But you know, that's maybe that's for the reunion movie in like twenty twenty six. Would have made an adorable TV show. I feel bad because I feel like I'm the only one that has negative things to say about such a wholesome movie. <laughs> it was a good movie, but it was like one of those, it was a situation where I felt like it was a movie of two halves. Where, like, the first half of the movie felt very much like cookie cutter sports movie. And then the second half was like, okay, now this is substance. Like, this is actually, like, fun and enjoyable to watch. And I can see why my mom loves this movie so much. Where do you feel like it made that shift? Well, it was like 50 minutes in when right after we got to, it was about the scene when they were at the regionals, like the state regional meet or state regional B, somewhere around there. It was like right after that, it was just like, okay, this movie completely shifted tone and is actually like more enjoyable for me. I, I think that there was definitely a, there was definitely a shift and it's done a little differently than it is in like, if I think about this like a sports movie, like what you were saying earlier, sports movies often lead with the, like some of the interiority and then the climax is the, you know, the sporting stuff. And then there's one last gotcha at the end that the person has to overcome and before winning a championship. But really like the big hurdles for her, I think were earlier. The, the thing that I thought was unique about this story and how they handled it was that I don't think there was ever an attempt to separate the the things that Akilah struggled with in either act of the movie. She struggled with feeling like she was being separated or not fitting in with either the smart kids in Woodland Hills or you know, or the girls in her neighborhood who were who are old friends. 
you know, like like she she was constantly pulling on that thread throughout uh, throughout the entire movie. And I felt like it was actually fascinating to watch her kind of navigate that space, knowing that there were like the, the plot between her and her mother about her lying to her mother about going to a spelling bee, which is like that, that's that's pretty up there as far as a nerdy thing to do. But uh, like Lauren, I identified with that a ton. I definitely uh, went off to do like some extracurricular like school stuff that my parents did not know how far it actually was. I got on the bus and like I would like would ride the bus for like uh, sixty or seventy minutes uh, to go far away to like try to take a Japanese lesson that I wasn't supposed to be taking. So I can kind of understand the 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 way that she the, the way she approached those things. I thought that the movie did a good job of of basically allowing for all the characters to eventually get through their arcs. Akila's mom, I, th- I think that the loss of Akila's father when she was younger is something that they, they don't dive too deep into it in the movie, but it's clearly, you know, impacting all of her actions and reactions around her children and her protectiveness of Akila. I thought that those things were were done pretty well. I wish that there would have been I just wish that there would have been more time somehow, but this some this was somehow an hour fifty two runtime, which kind of shocked me. So I I don't know where they would have done it. Yeah, I w- I could see where Andre's coming from with the sort of the two halves of the movie because the back half of the movie, like I agree that Akila didn't have like some of the struggles that she had about fitting in and like making friends. Kind of it was the same problems, but with the positions flipped. But it does feel like from the challenge of the spelling bee and the challenge of how to enter this world that she wasn't quite familiar with, she sort of just runs all over that in the second half of the movie. I didn't really notice that during the like while I was watching it. But like thinking back, I could sort of see how that might feel a little bit weird, given the topic of the movie. There was one thing, though, that I didn't really think about again until just now that I didn't like about this movie. Um, it's very one sort of minor thing, but it was pretty early. He was trying to convince Lawrence Fishburne's character that he should coach her and he reprimands her for the way she talks. As a kid, I heard that a lot. There's all types of opinions about that, but as an adult, I don't know that I felt very frustrated by that. I was like, you know, actually she could still be smart and talk however she wants to talk. That's okay. That's like a thing we can do. But maybe in 2006, that was not a thing we could do. 2009, I don't remember when you said this movie came out. Yeah, 2006. It, it's extreme in this 2006-ness. I, I agree. I think that kind of the discourse around respectability is a thing that is really heavy in this movie. And like you kind of settle into it if you're... like like, like I settled into it after a while, but it was it was jarring. Because I remembered that that scene as Lawrence Fishburne is eccentrically strict and he's doing these things to prepare for these spaces. And now I'm just kind of like, it's not necessary at all. It's a spelling bee, not a enunciation bee. Like, you, she literally does not need to acquiesce to like normative versions of English to, to do this. But it is very much a thing that fits with, I think, a lot of the prevailing attitudes around around AAVE and how it's used and and how it's used by kids and seen as a sign of disrespect amongst like uh, a certain bougie subset of 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 black professionals. But yeah, like I, I agree with you. I think that that was jarring. There were a few other things where 
a bunch of the other characters in Akilah's neighborhood end up being pretty important in the film for structurally in that, you know, she's living in South Central, like she goes to Crenshaw High, uh, sorry, Crenshaw Middle School, because Akilah's 11, 11 or 12 in this movie, which is another wonderful thing about it. But she, you know, she's surrounded by, you know, na- neighborhood that's clearly not the best. She has one older brother that's, that's like in the military, I believe. Uh, he was like in the Air Force. And then another one who is clearly running in the streets with, with some, uh, some D boys, some, some drug folks. And, and her mother is like worried about him and thinking that he's going, he's going to come back poorly. And I know that, um, Derek T, that's what it was. It was Derek T. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was really worried that they were going to lean heavily into the, you know, you need to learn how to spell so that you can stay off the streets message <laughs> because it, it, that, that definitely feels like it's got that after school special vibe in some of those parts of the conversation, but they actually played it, you know, intriguingly against type later on. Yeah. That's one of the things in both in that sense and also sort of what James was speaking to with the way that Lawrence Fishburne's character corrects her speaking. I actually think the movie did an okay job at walking what's really a complicated space, which is acknowledging that there are older black folk who have come up in a, in a place where respectability was key to actually getting respect and not just um, a terribly unfortunate social dynamic to navigate that's unfairly placed in others, right? Like it's definitely unfair, but we've all had those older aunts, uncles, et cetera, who want you to speak the proper King's English because that's important for them and for your family to have a veneer of, you know, respectability, class, education, et cetera, because otherwise you wouldn't be taken seriously in the world. And I saw that scene as him as basically continuing that trend and not the movie validating that, that act of his, but rather just saying this is like a likely dynamic you're going to see between a person who spends his life focusing on words and teaching people how to, how to speak. And that's going to be the thing that, you know, he, that's the line that he draws. That's sort of like who he is. It's not saying that that's right or that she was wrong. It actually throughout the movie does a pretty good job of pointing out that you don't have to be like that to be great. Right. Like there's the one sort of, let's call him friend of her brother's where her brother's kind of trying to play off, you know, play it cool and pretend like, you know, he thinks the spelling bee thing is stupid. And it turns out that that guy is totally all in for her doing this kind of activity um, is exactly the kind of thing I want to see in more movies like this, because so often the narrative is that black folks don't support other black folks who are interested in educational pursuits or who are well-spoken or who like things like spelling that we pull our, you know, our own down in that sense, instead of lifting them up. And this movie showed that that's not necessarily true, that you can still respect someone's talent and skill and education and interest in those kinds of things without being like that. Like that guy was a, he was a poet and he thought it was great that she was doing that and told her brother to go help her study. And that's not the kind of thing that you would typically expect from a character like that in this kind of film, but that's what he did. And throughout the movie, they, they sort of just kept showcasing that even when she was feeling separated from some of her schoolmates because she was really good at this and they weren't as good as it or as interested in it, they still supported her and cared about her and found like victory in the things that she was doing. And that's more often than not also been my experience. Like it's not just, it's not all black people trying to pull down other educated black people. Often they're lifting them up because we all take some sort of pride in that as a community. And I see that, that sort of thing buried in a lot of like, particularly like white focused movies 
Like the attitude is that we don't appreciate that. And this movie should clearly show that that's not true, which is one of the great things about it overall. So I think that's a really challenging concept to convey, especially without directly addressing it, which is the other thing. The movie didn't actually talk about that dynamic explicitly too often. I mean, Akila does, you know, get concerned that people will make fun of her because she's smart. But every kid feels that way to some extent, right? That's sort of like the burden of being a nerd, no matter what color you are. But what it doesn't explicitly address is the color dynamics, essentially, of being that kind of person, especially when you're a girl. But it tries to show it through these different scenes and kind of walk the lines there. So I appreciate that at least, you know, it attempts to do that. It does it okay, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, it, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll go quick, but I, I think that there's, like, in my own personal experience of being, like, a brainy kid in uh, a somewhat rough neighborhood, the biggest cheerleaders I ever had in my life were <laughs> the tough folks of the neighborhood. People looked out for me. People would go like, oh, you know, like, he's really smart. He does, he does computer stuff. You should help him with his computer business. Do you need flyers? Like, you know, Ryan can hook you up and make you flyers. Like, there, there is a point where, like, yes, there is a lot of these stereotypes about danger, but you also had a lot of community support and a lot of pride. I'd never seen any place outside of like where I grew up and other black, black enclaves um, celebrate a, a graduation the way, the way that they do. Like, it, like it was really weird for me living in Ann Arbor in the area and seeing people like not completely, you know, all out celebrating every graduate that they see in every situation. It can be from eighth grade. It can be from, it can be from college, anything in between. They are getting like honked at on the road and like people waving and graduating them in line in every store. And so I think that the movie kind of captured that kind of spirit and I really did love it. Yeah, it was a it was a organic element to it. That was one thing I did appreciate when I was watching it was um the fact that everyone got involved and that everyone was willing to help because they all like saw her as a light to a as a light to the community. And that said, the one thing that did distract from that to me was some of the casting decisions. <laughs> like we were talking about Derek T and he was played by Eddie Ste was it Eddie Steeples? It's just like I can't see him not as his my name is Earl character. <laughs> it's just like it just looks so weird. It's like, oh, he's supposed to be a drug dealer, but I just see you just making crazy eyes and crazy faces at the camera. <laughs> That's why he had sunglasses on. It still didn't help, though. But, uh, you know, but aside from him, it was just kind of like me being a kid that, like, watched, like, Disney TV in, like, the 90s and early 2000s. It was Lee Thompson Young was another guy. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I will forever see him as the famous Jet Jackson. <laughs> it made me kind of sad when I realized he was the brother. I was like, oh, it's Jet Jackson. And then yeah. I was sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did the same thing. There's like, just looking down, I'm just looking through this like casting list. I'm just like, oh man, Lawrence Fishburne as the professor. I'll never like not see him as the professor for higher learning. It was just so weird when I actually like looked at the cast list and was just uh, looking at all these characters. I was just like, oh, man. I assume Lawrence Fishburne brought his own wardrobe for this. I assume that he just has the professor wear and like, and he just showed up on set exactly in that character i assume he just decided to play lawrence fishburne from searching for bobby fisher lawrence fishburne it was like him playing a movie version of him playing a movie version of him kind of he the, the denzel um yeah exactly 
He didn't solve the whole role. Although like Andre's point of seeing him in higher learning, like as higher learning Lawrence Fishburne, I find fascinating because that's not really my go-to anymore for now. Right now, I always see Lawrence Fishburne as blackish Lawrence Fishburne. And prior to that, I'm probably thinking Morpheus. But now I want to hear what everyone's current, you look at Morgan, you look at Lawrence Fishburne. I don't know why I keep doing that. You look at Lawrence Fishburne and you think of him as what exactly? Like what's the movie that comes to mind? For me, it's school days. But that's also like a very young a very young Fishburne compared to a lot of these other things. Also, another Giancarlo Esposito movie, because I, I, I'm compiling a list. But uh, yeah, no, I think about uh, him in his speech in that movie. Uh, School Days is a movie from the 80, late 80s about some, about a guy trying to pledge a frat at a HBCU. Yeah, um, I don't know. Who else has their... So Andre's Higher Learning, uh, Lauren's Morpheus slash Blackish, James, what is your Fishburne of choice? Uh, I think my fish burn is probably Morpheus 2 with the caveat that I think the Morpheus fish burn, the John Wick fish burn and the professor fish burn are basically the same person, mm-hmm. um, but just with different different goals at a, any particular time. Like Morpheus is instructor of higher learning is just the higher learning is kill the robots. And in John Wick, as the king of the um the like gang of bums on the street he is also absolutely the same character as morpheus or an instructor of higher learning it's just his specialty is a little bit different like it's basically the same thing i really hope this is like a continuous like role that he's just playing where there's literally just like a continuation from him for him one movie to the next and i want to know what order this these movies happen in uh, he has like two modes. He has like his weird sci-fi version of him, and he's got like his steady Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> like I don't know if anybody's seen like some of his more obscure like sci-fi films, like uh, The Colony was one. Uh, then I'm trying to find the name here of The Signal. Oh no, I haven't seen those. I thought you were gonna say Event Horizon. Uh, I haven't seen Event Horizon. I'm thinking of Signal and Colony. Um, I see Predators on here. That was another one where he was just kind of like, well, Predators, he was slightly crazy, so it doesn't quite fit. But he has just like this weird, like sci-fi kind of mode to him where he's just like, yeah, that ain't right. Oh, man. Okay. So before I go all the way down the Lawrence Fishburne Hall, so like I, I wanted to ask you all about what you thought about the cinematography and sound in the movie. There were, it was forgettable for me in a lot of places where I wasn't. I was getting the shots that I expected to see for a lot of it, but there were a couple places that struck me as being actually really interesting. And one that I'll save for the spoiler section uh, from the end of the movie that actually was really affecting on me. But I did like that there were a couple occasions where they, they did a lot of consistency in how they treated flashbacks with, you know, a nice hazy amber glow that wasn't too sepia, but very much, you know, a child's flashback um, kind of feeling. And, and But otherwise, you know, like there were a lot of things where I felt like, you know, I was watching something that was incredibly by the books um, and just curious if you all felt the same way. I was just getting over that early 2000s digital camera. That was my big thing. It's like, oh, man, that was a look. I think like the I honestly have no feelings whatsoever about the cinematography or editing or sound or any of that stuff. Like it was basically not there, which I guess is. Uh, in some ways, kind of what you expected a movie like this, because, again, that's not really the point. Right. And there's nothing fancy driving home the story. It really just is a very 
by the book after school special kind of movie. It's just like happens to be an effective one of that. I do feel like they actually missed out on some opportunities to do more interesting and compelling cinematography, particularly in the more like the higher emotion scenes, particularly when she's like actually at the B, things like that. Like it could have over dramatized the moment. So that might have been a reason not to do it, but it would have maybe made you feel on stage nervous the way that she was like was and had to have been and they missed the opportunity to have you feel what she's feeling through the use of different camera angles or other particular production techniques but yeah mostly it was just it is what it is basically it's it's not a movie i'm gonna watch to watch the amazing cinematography right it's not it's not spider into the spider-verse where i'm watching it just to see how beautiful a film it is it's a movie that I'm watching because it's like Sunday afternoon and I just really want to feel better about the world and I'm going to drink some cocoa and watch it and think about all the different types of roles that Lawrence Fishburne plays Lawrence Fishburne in. Or, or, I mean, I, I can think about the palpable fear I had of Angela Bassett is upset with me and I feel like my mom's upset with me because that happened. Like, that I got that, that like, she might as well call me by my full name through the screen. It was, a uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was appropriately intense. Um, why do you lie to your mama? Now I'm in trouble. I'm watching you and I'm in trouble. But yeah, I, I think, like I said, I think that there wasn't really a whole lot there. The music is definitely of an era that did not necessarily age super well. Um, the the music made me think about all the weird technology spaces that the thing, this thing was in because I don't actually know, and maybe, I, maybe it's in one of these notes that I lost, about what year the spelling bee is supposed to be in because this movie came out in 2006. But no one has a cell phone, and there are like like we they're using nor like she's using a cordless phone, but she also has a computer in her room in South Central LA. I, I was struggling to figure out where to place it, and this is an entirely Ryan's neurosis kind of thing uh, of what is going on. You know, like when is this? It actually really matters to me. When is this? Because. Uh, Akila going to the burbs to study if she has a cell phone is an entirely different thing than if she's calling on a payphone. But yeah, um, other than some some weird things from a movie that seemed like it was designed to be relatively timeless, like this 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 was this feels like it was made to be rerun on TNT in the late afternoon, <laughs> in the late afternoon during Christmas break. Like this movie was built for that, and so. They kind of don't necessarily care a ton, but there's the part of my brain that wants to look for plot holes keeps wanting to wonder, like, when the hell is this? You just kind of hit, like, my biggest pet peeve, because I kept getting lost in the story, because it would, like, it'll be one scene, it's just like, okay, I got an idea, we're in the summer here, then all of a sudden, what do you mean it's December? Part of it is the L.A., you know, California background doesn't really help. But it's just like, wait, we have, like, what's, what, where are we? Like, it, eight months has passed, and the only reason we know it is because, like, she's returning these flashcards. Or there's, like, a and line she says, it's been eight line. months. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, m my assumption is that because the script's National Spelling Bee was, like, an actual participant and sponsor in this story happening, that they, like, literally tried to line it up with a calendar or something. Maybe they, I'm imagining the storyboard and the storybook of, like, of hey, we have to make sure that this aligns to spelling bee standards. We can't have this girl skipping ahead and lie and besmirch the honored name of scripts. Uh, yeah, the the way that 
time passes in this movie is is really weird. It's my wife made up the brought up the point that there's three different montages, but the montages don't convey any sort of passage of time. Like it's it's not clear that like oh this montage happened and now it's like a month later. It's like this montage happened and it could be tomorrow. Like we don't know. But one thing I will say about the cinematography is that while it's I think pretty uninteresting, it's not obviously bad like we got in Marshall where like it took me out of the movie. This is one of those things where it's like I kind of forgot that this was like a film. It could have easily been like a single shot television show cuz like the cinematography was like not interesting. The soundtrack was not great for me. Like it I could have pretty much any time that they used music, they could have just not used music and I think it would have been just as good. But yeah, I, I'm at least glad that it wasn't like offensively bad. I mean, you could definitely take this movie, put it in like the late 90s or 2000s, make it a TV show. And it would basically be sister, sister in a way like it would be that like caliber of show it would be totally fine. You'd watch it on like the WB after school and you would enjoy it and it would be fine. This movie would be three hours with commercial breaks somehow. <laughs> right. But it would be it would be what it is. Man, do y'all remember UPN? Yes. Um, okay, like spinoff pod possibility. We we like totally doing uh, a bunch of quick hit episodes about all of the old black TV shows from UPN and uh, those things that have because most of them have not made it to streaming. Well, I don't know. Like, I think that it would be fun, but there's some of those things where it's like they they need to be remembered. I don't know if they need to be remembered well. <laughs> um, <laughs> like. Am I going to spend time trying to figure out how to like explain what the PJs are? Do you remember that show? It was like the stop motion animation with Eddie Murphy and Larry Wilmore. Uh, uh, there's a lot of those kinds of things where it's just like, right, that is both our history and also a thing that I don't know can survive in the, in, in the new world. I'm just saying, while we're spotlighting uh, all these awesome black movies, we got to remember that like, Black TV was at a had a moment and uh, kids mm -hmm. these days just don't know about it. They do not. And I am I'm all for the spinoff podcast around black TV shows because I have I'm not probably the only person that I know that regularly drops references to 227 and rock and <laughs> like so many other shows. 227 and Amen and rock and like all of those living absolutely. single like no one else actually watches them and i'm constantly on the lookout for all those things like it's i like i also have noticed that the famous jeff jackson is not on disney plus and i am just side-eyeing disney a little bit because everything else kind of is but i'm just saying that's definitely something that people need to know it like existed because especially in the 90s early 2000s we had like a beautiful like peak black tv moment thanks to channels like upn slash the wb and whatnot and it was a great time. Yeah, I'm having like one of those unsung moments of whatever happened to Miguel Nunez Jr. Um, and after watching, you know, thinking about Sparks and like, right, that was the first time I ever saw Terrence Howard was in Sparks' like law sitcom on UPN. Um, it also had James Avery from uh, Fresh Prince, um, among other things. Also the voice of Shredder. But yeah, there's, uh, so yes, confirmed uh, black, black TV spinoff pod. Maybe we cover like, four shows in a quick episode to just talk about like the best ones like i'm down for that because i am also all about all of those old shows and 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 the more the more people talk about them the more they'll come back to streaming 
So the, the easier it'll be to get other people to watch these things. Okay. Yeah. We have a duty to the okay. future. Uh, so like back to this uh, killing the bee. We're gonna mark this point for story spoilers. So anything past this point, we're gonna talk about the climax of the story and the ending. Akilah makes it to the National Bee. Uh, she gets there along with uh, two of the other folks from L.A. Javier, the kid that she makes friends with at the very first Bee who helps her uh, get confidence, is frankly delightful in pretty much every scene that he's in in the movie. He's an incredibly earnest young kid who's like just super straightforward and some, somehow very confident but not like annoying and just really does a lot of work on like reaching out his hand in friendship and if, if, if friendship to Akila and and there are other they're also joined by Dylan who is the de facto you know pe- person that people are betting on to win. He had he had been second I think for like the past two years at the National B and I want to talk a little bit about uh, about Dylan because I think that his character was one of the few places where I I wasn't necessarily happy with how the stereotyping was done. Uh, so Dylan was uh, Dylan was was Asian, um, I believe he was Chinese, and his father was very stereotypical, like tough Asian parent, you know, forcing him to be all in and like harshly studying. I I think that like they're one of the only things that touches upon some of the well, there, there, there are a few parts in the movie where characters explicitly talked about the racial dynamics in the place of the spelling bee, and the fact that there weren't other. There were there were almost no other black kids or no other black kids that I saw in any of the bees outside of her original her original schools. But she there's a scene where Akila walks in during Javi, Javier's birthday party, um, walks in to see Dylan's father berating him about almost losing to a black girl in Scrabble, and it's very much like one of it's one of the only moments in the movie that made me like tense up a bit because it is it, not that you know anti-black racism isn't a thing that would have been encountered in this story like that it part didn't feel like it was necessarily wrong but unlike a lot of other uh, other bits of things there was when we talked about the gangbangers getting uh, a chance to show both sides of that character in redemption dylan's father never got that he just stays um overbearing like, like you know over, overbearing somewhat racist racist dad um who wants his never wants his son to be number two Dylan himself, the character in the the brilliant climax of the movie, finds himself actually getting a chance to lean into goodness and the the, the spirit of goodwill and and, and friendship that Akila has been offering this through the entire movie against his father's wishes. Akila tries to throw the beat because she knows that that she knows that Dylan's father would be more happy if he wins. This is last year, and she can come back and win it next year. But Dylan recognizes what she's doing. They she stumbles on a word that that he that he checked her with in one of their early meetings, and so he knows that she knows it. He recognizes what she's doing. And he throws it as well and says that like if I don't win it clean, I don't want to win it at all. Let's do it together. It ended up with with the climax movie of both of them spelling all the words and being co champions, and I think that that gave the ending of this movie like a, a whole lot of heart in a way that. I don't think it could have happened otherwise. And I did like that Dylan got that kind of redemption, but you know, not having that for his father or not having any any like any space to explore that, you know, the outcome of that that stereotype and those things was one of the things that I could see people being upset with about uh about this movie, like depiction wise. Yeah, the stereotypes around his dad I thought was were pretty troubling. Like that was 
I don't know, you know, what they were trying to say about that as far as the creation of the movie and the director's team and stuff, but like that felt very, very wrong and like really out of place in this movie. Cause like nothing else in this movie is kind of like that. Everybody else, like you mentioned, has like some sort of arc or, you know, nobody else really like attacks Aquila in that same kind of way. And so it, I don't know. It just, it, it seemed weird and forced and like, I just generally didn't like it. I also related to the the ending and them getting co-champions. I think it's really weird that that was never like on the table before. That they never set up the stakes in such a way that's like, oh yeah, like two people can win. Like that's a, that's like a thing that could happen because it sort of like takes a little bit of the competition and the like. You're gonna be the best student, you know, on this challenge away when it's like well actually like multiple students could have won like that this is like i don't know that seemed really weird and i thought it was strange that they didn't set it up in it yeah they they, they they set it up once i think uh but it was a throwaway line of well nobody's ever gotten all the champion words yeah it still wasn't i agree with james it wasn't as convincing as it could have been otherwise like they didn't have to go through that many words to get to that point and it doesn't actually even seem like they collectively won in that case. It's just that the judges gave up and that's how they won. So it was more like winning on a technicality, both of them. But to the point about like the the stereotyping and representation of Asians, like I, I agree. It's it's like the film felt that it didn't make the stakes high enough. So it needed a villain. And it couldn't make a villain out of any of the black people in the film. And it couldn't make a villain out of the, you know, white supportive school leaders that it had structured for Aquila, so it chose to basically make a villain out of Dylan's dad, which was really unfair to him, to that, to their whole family. And it struck me as problematic for a couple of reasons. One, because they did a really like it's it's otherwise it it treats every other race essentially as like equally good, and then focuses heavily on this one Chinese stereotype without, like you said, Ryan, giving the dad the opportunity to dispel any of it. It's all you would really have there. The villain wasn't necessary, right? This was really about Akila proving to herself that she could do this and taking the opportunity, and that should have been sufficient for the story. And it essentially creates a space where people of color are battling against each other when they don't need to be doing that, right? Like there was no real reason to, to scapegoat another community of that nature. It just ended up being really, really problematic for one thing and kind of took away from the overall message, especially when Javier doesn't have any of that uh, like dynamics. And he's also the only Latino kid in the group, but they don't set up that, that, that dynamic with him either. Um, so why, why do that with Dylan just because, um, he happens to be the Chinese kid and you want to make, you want to establish a stereotype in which case that kid's got, you know, tiger parents who care about nothing but him winning. And he's just already been prone to be the best. Like, why can't we dispel all of these things at once? Is a question I would, I would have had. If you rewrote the film and you didn't have Dylan's father at all in it, it wouldn't miss nothing. The only thing that it, the only thing that it sets up is the need for Akilah to feel like she needs to throw it. But even then, that could have just been justified as Dylan cares about this a whole lot. He's never won it. It's his last year. That's enough. Like, it really is. And I think that, you know, in some in some ways, it means that, like, they made the rest of the movie tight enough with its desired worldview of everyone being able to coexist in these spaces and support each other that, like, 
that's why I feel so dissonant when because they went really hard on that area and they did, kind of didn't need to and it and it, they they didn't give the same kind of love to to those characters to 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 his father especially as they did otherwise as it did for nearly everyone else in the film right and so what that means is that like Javier has you know the um his family and support system and Akila has her family and support system and Dylan gets none of that right he has his family they're not a support system for him in the same ways so i would yeah i don't really love that that depiction at all i don't think it was necessary to introduce that kind of a conflict for one thing for this it should have been sufficient that she was going up against herself not that she needed to have this conflict with the father i mean i said i don't want to ignore the fact that that kind of racism does exist and that particularly the black women are often seen as not being not being intellectual equals because they're they're you know dealing with both being black and also with being women and so often we aren't seen as essentially having that kind of standing or being intelligent enough to do those things you don't see a lot of young black girls winning spelling bees typically that doesn't mean that we can't right so that i do like i do understand kind of where they're coming from in that association but i don't think it was necessary to to add here yeah especially not at that point of the thing where like hey you know she's kind of already proven that she's able to able to hang uh it's also just like frankly just a really weird thing to say at somebody else's house i don't know maybe i'll just raise different i can't imagine like <laughs> i'm just gonna be mean to someone else's child at a third person's house but anyway the you know like one of the things that i think stood out to me when i look back at the movie about Lawrence fishburne's role because i love Lawrence fishburne and i uh, even when he's playing Lawrence fishburne i i thought about how fishburne is a mentor in this movie doesn't go for some of the tropes that um, you typically see in the sort of like master student relationship. And, you know, he's like, a lot of times you see someone trying to break uh, a coach, trying to break someone down to build them back up. You see them trying to remove their, their unnecessary confidence or their, you know, or, or saying like, oh, you know, your confidence is misplaced. You really need X, Y, and Z. And he did much less of that in this kind of role. It was really all about, empowering her to uh, to own her desires and to own the fact that she wanted to win that she had to like actually harness that she cared and 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 use that as the means to move forward and it might just be the the particular mood that i'm in that where that struck me really well but i, I think it, i think it definitely shone through there's a moment where akila nearly forgets a word and they give a nice like flashback to the Fishburne, you know, at the easel, pointing at the part of the root word that she did remember, and she had been using rhythm as a as a, a as a mnemonic device to remember how to spell words in multiple of the montages throughout the movie. There's a lot of really cute clips of Kiki Palmer's skipping rope and like spelling words that um, are really good gifts in general. But you know, she she asks to start over when she starts to stumble, and she actually takes up the pose and pose to do to, to jump rope on the stage of the national bee so that she can uh recite the word you know with her memory it was extremely cheesy <laughs> like extremely extremely cheesy but really really effective and i i enjoyed getting to see the you know yes like like, like she gets to own her like her her methods are special to her they are also like something in like you know in 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 the way the jumping rope is meaningful for black girls in particular it's it's a it's a particular choice to have that be her be her device and i thought it was a very cool thing to do 
So yeah, um, I, I thought that that was just like a really nice, uh, a, a nice little touch. There, there are a whole lot of things that even with some of the problems that we did have with some of the characterizations, there were things that I thought were very nice little love letters uh, to black kids in particular in ways that they can see themselves in these spaces. So yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did on rewatch after all these years. Oh, and I have to ask, were you all spelling words along with the characters in the movie or was it just me? Because I know that I'm a nerd and I know that I do it, but I was absolutely trying to spell them faster to make sure that I could spell them right. <laughs> we tried um, and we realized that as adults, we are above spelling bees and we don't need to do that as we realized we couldn't spell hardly any of the words. I will say I definitely did it because, again... I was a spelling bee champion, and you can't get some things out of you. That's just a thing that you do in your head. Spell those words. See if you can. I don't English well, so I didn't even try. <laughs> that was not my strong suit in school at all. So I was just like, okay, I'll just, I'll just watch. <laughs> I didn't find out about the spelling bees like this until I was too old to do them. I, I'm really sad about it because I think I would have loved it. I, 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 lo I like spelling. So, yeah, I had a soft spot for this movie. Um, thank you all for uh, for watching it with me. Um, any people have any final thoughts on Akilah and the Bee? Like, this movie gave me so much nostalgia, uh, not necessarily because I was a spelling bee kid, but because it reminded me of all the random stuff that you would used to find on ESPN. Uh, I would say, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, it's not the hardest watch in the world as a 2020 person looking back at a 2006 movie um so i would i would give it a shot i mean you you have literally nothing to lose but an hour you know 90 minutes of your time um and it it won't be wasted so i definitely think you should uh, give it a watch if you're looking for something heartwarming but not like 2020 on fire warming yeah i think that's like this this is one of those movies that is just a nice like happy movie to watch right it's a great family movie to watch it's a great you need to pick yourself up a little bit movie to watch. It's a great, I'm flipping through the channels and it's on. So I'll leave it on because you know, it'll be a good background noise kind of watch. And I also just think it's a really good film. If you have young black kids in your lives to have them watch and like see some part of themselves in this kind of film, because it isn't often like as Ryan said, being that you get a good coming of age movie geared towards black kids at all. And, and to black girls in particular, and so even just having like Kiki Palmer on the screen as someone who knows who she is and what she wants and, you know, double dutches, but also can spell really long words like these are all things that we can do. And I think it's great for for showcasing that. All right. Well, thank you all for for joining me on this like blast to the recent past, I guess. 2006, hell of a time. Thank you all for joining us on the Black Movie Podcast. You can find it wherever po podcasts are found. And I say that partly because we haven't figured out where they go yet. But uh, thank you all for coming, and I'm looking forward to our next movie together. Thank you for listening to the Black Movie Podcast. Our show is edited by Mike Knight. Our theme song is by Chris Negro Justice Brown. And our logo was created by Savannah Alexander. Even if you never heard of me, just know I'm Empirically laid out in front for you to see I found the trinity Good people weed and memories These are the only things I need